when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What's good, Internet? It's August 19th, 2022, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 501st, Zachney's Fist. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined by Ricardo Contreras. Don't look at me like that, Ricardo. Don't give me that look. Okay, okay, Anakin. Get out there. and Who's the Rex in this situation? Oh, like, you're you're the Rex. Oh, okay. <laughs> and Patrick uh, is my Obi-Wan. Who's the Cody? Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know what all those roles were, so I was hoping I got a name that I recognized. I'll take the Obi-Wan. Yeah. Cody. Is Cody good? Um, Cody... Cody's an open question. Like <laughs> I would say some things. I, I I would say it does not appear things end well with Cody, uh, mm. given given the third movie. But then again, does it end well for anyone uh, in the third movie? <laughs> and our very own Padawan learner, Renata Price. Patty. <laughs> no one can see the little hand signal that I was doing. I know. Realized because I was like. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, this is a fine intro. This is what I do when I walk into a coffee shop with people mm-hmm. I know. I, I do a little I do a little shake my hands because mm. of the brain disease. I Audio have. medium. This is. <laughs> oh, no. Well, welcome to the thanks to Tumelo for the uh, <laughs> fucked up the syntax. I did. <laughs> God damn Excellent. It. I think actually think uh, the I'll funniest. Go ahead. I was gonna say, I think the funniest thing I've ever tweeted was uh, saying, "I fucked up the syntax," which is a really stupid <laughs> joke. <laughs> it's a really dumb fucking joke. Uh, uh all right. So, on to more serious things, uh, Patrick. To start us off this week, you wrote something about a longstanding and ongoing issue in games media, or. Maybe it's actually better thought of as a series of issues, really, uh, mm. but all around guides and how that labor is treated among and within publications. Uh, why don't you take us through it? Yeah. So this story, I kind of went down as a result of Alex Seedhouse, who is a writer uh, and someone who uh, co-runs uh, Nintendo Insider, um, which is kind of a small fish in a big pond website, um, one that focuses on Nintendo, in which... Uh, they had spent a number of hours, uh, dozens of hours, uh, playing uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 3, a game that, at how long to beat, says it, it takes at least 54 hours to finish. Uh, would probably take more than that in order to write a complete guide. I would I would assume probably double. Um, but anyway, uh, uh, Seedhouse wrote a walkthrough, a guide, you know, uh, sort of, you know, a completionist uh, uh, explanation for how to find things in a game that is full of finding things. Uh, and a few weeks back, 
uh, leveled an accusation at uh, a website, Screen Rant, uh, related to uh, their own guide uh, in order to find a certain enemies or, or, or uh, yeah, unique monsters in the game. Uh, and as a result of a trap they had laid in their writing, um, in, and I don't know exactly which one specific, because I think Seed House was keeping a little of that close to their chest, but essentially putting in a certain, either a typo or a, a turn of phrase that would be unique to the writer, um, exposed to them that Screen Rant had taken, uh, the, the guide verbatim, um, maybe done a little bit of paraphrasing, but essentially had taken their work, um, and passed it off on their own. Uh, Screen Rant ended up, uh, Passing along a statement that said, uh, without uh, any admission and out of good faith, the article in question has been removed from our website. Furthermore, whenever we receive a copyright infringement notification, we take these matters extremely seriously. Our company has stringent policies in place in relation to any contributor re regarding articles submitted to our websites. In view of that, we are taking steps internally to audit the writer's previous content and will be doing a revisit of best practices with the guides and overall gaming team to ensure that only original and unique content is posted on our website. Uh, and this sort of sent me down a deeper rabbit hole wanting to better understand the expansion and proliferation of guides on, on video game websites, which walkthroughs have been a mainstay since video game websites have existed. But the notion of employing people, contracting people explicitly to have whole guide sections is a phenomenon that I would I, I would place somewhere in the last five years. Um, and I wanted to better understand how that came to be, what are some of the, the traps of, of that world, if you were a worker in it. Um, and my takeaway is that, one, uh, guides are one of a couple bedrocks of how modern gaming media companies operate. If you go to any of the big ones, an IGN, a Polygon, um, uh, a GameSpot, uh, even smaller ones, you know, your, your fan bites, your screen rants, your Nintendo insiders, they're all running guides content. Uh, I... Myself noticed the guides became it was a signifier of as a big deal uh, because when I was uh, agreeing to embargoes and signing non-disclosure agreements for video games, I was seeing usually you get a here's a preview embargo, a review embargo, a streaming embargo, um, and then like specific delineations on what you can talk about and all those. And then frequently I started seeing and here's the guides embargo, um, and I was like oh well if the publishers are acknowledging that this is big business um, for these websites. I mean, that, that's, that's really interesting. And, you know, the, the, we can get into the specifics, uh, but the, the, the article sort of lays out that it's a pretty exploitative industry. Uh, it's paid poorly. The hours are really, really long. Um, and because the bylines associated with them are not strongly correlated or attributed to the reader, when you search for, you know, how do I get past this? How am I going to accomplish this? You're probably just hoping the guide is articulate and clear and tells you what you need to do and you move on. You're not necessarily going, gosh, I really like how Alex Seedhouse wrote up the unique enemies list for Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Um, and so makes it difficult for writers to gain traction, to uh, argue for better pay. Um, and in a media landscape that is already like really competitive, has poor pay for the vast majority of its jobs. Um, while guides jo uh, work is consistent, uh, it does seem to be uniquely exploitative in a landscape that <laughs> is frequently <laughs> exploitative in and of itself. Yeah, I would say the, I mean, I've, as someone who recently entered the industry, a lot of my like direct peers in terms of um, 
like people who are doing like work that I really love uh, are also mostly guides writers uh, on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we're hired as gar- guides writer, guards writers, uh, guides writers, and have gone on to like do a bunch of other interesting work on the side that actually doesn't get published on the website that they work for uh, full time. And like, there's a there's a there's a lot of weird relationships with guides writers um, in that way. And like, they're regularly. Every guides writer I know regularly pulls 55 to 60 hour weeks. It is a life consuming part of the industry in the worst possible way. Um, I've always sort of imagined it as like, there's like certain classes of game where I'm like, oh my God, if I have to review that or when I've had to review it, I'm like, well, that's going to be a nightmare. And that's to file review at the end of it. That's to roll credits and be like, I thought that was good. And here's why the thought of doing like going through that with a fine tooth comb and being like and here's then how we get through each of these like like uh stages and crossroads that you come to uh that is an unfathomable amount of work to me i mean i know someone who you know not disclosing but is doing guides for site a and something else for site b on this they're doing the exact thing we're talking about rob where it's guides and review and they have to do both of those lenses at the same time in totality. And I think that is a really difficult place to find yourself in. Like as someone who's written uh, a couple of guides pieces um, early on in my career when I was um, an intern over at Fanbyte, um, it's real work. Like like guides work is takes a lot and it is, requires a totally different style of writing than most people are used to. It is a very technical and particular mode of writing that actually I found really helpful in my later work. But like, it's real and useful and also basically keeps the lights on at most websites at this point. Um, Websites that are now driven by anything other than guides are becoming the very rare exception. Um, Well, uh, yeah, well, I just want to read it to to that point. I had a a quote in here from somebody who was a former games editor that was around a lot of guide stuff, especially as this was becoming more prominent at a lot of these media companies. And they, they told me, uh, quote, a ton of traffic comes from guides. Uh, in a year where there are fewer releases and big news moments, guides traffic also suffers, but it becomes the bedrock of stability, generating search traffic and volume that offsets lower traffic cycles, which is thus that is based on the churn of the industry having big games with people clicking and people looking. And obviously you're going to get spikes like an Elden Ring, which essentially like fueled the first half of the year for a lot of games websites that are uh contingent on that on that cycle but guide stuffs are the kinds of things where well when a game goes on sale they're still going to look for the guide they might not be looking for that review though they might not be looking for that news write-up the guide is is as they call it uh evergreen it is something that people will look for for years so i also do wonder patrick you sort of talked about how this really became noticeable too in the last five years and that's around the time frame where i started to really get the sense that like this this ground had shifted but to what degree do we think that's also a reflection of the way search has remade the internet in its own image? Mm-hmm. Um, that like when you think about the fact that like no, almost no websites have like a dedicated readership. Now the idea of like your homepage readership that is coming there to check it. Like that's, that's basically gone. Maybe it still exists for like New York times or something, but for, for the most part, that's not how 
your readership is coming to you. And so we, we talked about like anything we do, it's kind of like you're flinging darts up. Like this is when motherboard has its occasional traffic meetings, uh, a, a big part of it. And it's always, it's always a weird moment in the traffic meeting where on the one hand, it's like, everyone's doing great work. Uh, you know, these, you know, we're running stories we're proud of. Also, we live in a cold and uncaring universe and sometimes nobody reads our best work. Uh, and we just don't win the lottery guides give you a winning lottery ticket uh but also like search kind of exists to determine that like websites have to play uh the lottery now and also the other thing about guides is they give you a winning lottery ticket for as long as the website you are working for is using clicks and page views as the defining metric and not time spent on page because Mm -hmm. the second the company and this happens not frequently, but not infrequently, where basically a website uh, or an advertiser will come to you and go, hey, we got some new numbers in. And we actually think, because some guy up here decided it, that time spent on page is way more important for advertising, which we still don't understand how it works. Sorry, we don't know if it works at all. Um, time spent on page is the new metric. And then suddenly an entire business model collapses in on itself overnight um in a way that is like extremely disorienting and like puts people out of work very quickly um well and and also something i want to get to because i think gets back to sort of the precipitating incident for the story is that the nature of search and this has always been there is that People can steal your winning lottery ticket. People are trying to steal your winning lottery ticket. Well, it's because there's, I mean, you know, SEO, search engine optimization is something that has existed as long as Google has refined it to be a thing that there are metrics for, right? It's it's essentially something popularized by by Google um, and and the rise of Google as search. Uh, I remember at Kotaku when I worked there, uh, we measured publishing stories based around things like a Nintendo Direct, not in minutes, but seconds um, in which you were preparing headlines ahead of time with a one line perfunctory. This mm-hmm. is it. And you hit publish and you were broadly expected to have that published and on the site in 30 seconds to a minute um, yeah. because part of the SEO game is being first. And so how are you going to get ranked so that when people search for Pokemon, you know, your article comes up first and you get that longer tail on on the article. And so, What's happening here is is, is the, where the, this is where the plagiarism aspect comes into it is that these guides need to be up as soon as possible so that when people are searching for them, the the the, the Google is ranking them based on, you know, they have relationships with, you know, they're going to rank bigger sites first. But if you're a smaller site, uh, the faster you can get there, the more likely you're going to get into the mix. Um, and maybe you will get bumped up for X, Y or Z, Z reason. Um, and so. Uh, what's happening here, and you know, I I can't know for sure what happened with Screen Rant. They're not admitting that it was plagiarism. They're just admitting they're going to look at their policies. But this is common. Like places, the bigger sites have legal teams and other ways of like putting on, for example, watermarks onto their images so that they can resource those back to to places that take them. Because these some of these smaller sites are don't get access to code early, and so they're quickly taking and reappropriating these guides in order to try and essentially like, they don't need to make the same money. that Polygon is going to get, even if they're not on the first page or they make it on the second page or they're low on the first page, that's still important. And so it is, as you said, Rob, just another 
really toxic example of how it is not like these are all very useful. I use guides all the fucking time. I miss them terribly when I'm playing games for <laughs> review or something like that. They are an incredibly important part of playing video games um, for, for a lot of people, no matter your role. And uh, the, but it is, it is different than it just being, let's do something because there is demand for it and we're going to do a good job of it. Then it is, Hey, there are so precious few ways to make money running websites these days yeah. that we are actually going to have to cater towards however Google is going to rank us um, because that is critical to the infrastructure of the the ad market. This is also why I think um, a thing that I've seen is uh, the, the guides writers I know uh, take uh, other people breaking guides embargo way more seriously than I think. Uh, like People always take breaking embargo very seriously, but I think I've seen guides writers get especially livid uh, when guides embargoes are broken uh, because of this, the like the necessity of the field and also the that race to the SEO um, spot. It is it is a deeply consequential um, like embargo break for the publications, not even for the games, but for the publications themselves uh, in a way that I find um, unique. Uh, and there are two things that uh, I think are worth pointing out that for a story that is like largely about some of the shittier aspects that are related to, to this world. And, and there are, there are many, but uh, I think this will end up being maybe a follow-up story because I didn't really get these quotes into to the piece. But, you know, I talked to somebody that runs a pretty like niche RPG site and the entire reason they're able to pay anyone and do other work is because of all of the time they've spent building guides. And so yep. this is why the plagiarism is really important to a site like a Nintendo Insider, because that's what allows them to do other work. Like the guide stuff is what, not just keeps the lights on, but allows them to write features and and do things that are not this sort of like really labor intensive uh, search engine uh, stuff. And and that's true of so many jobs and not even just media, but it's, 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 it's a critical infrastructure piece for a lot, for a lot of websites, especially on the smaller side. And related to that is yes, as much as the guides writers I talked to, uh, even if they enjoyed the work, like they found it satisfying to like build, I, I can see why it would be satisfying to break down games in this way, to build this infrastructure. I can absolutely see like a brick by brick sort of that being a satisfying uh, a piece to do. Um, uh, it's also breaking into video game writing is exceptionally hard. It's probably harder than it's ever been. There's more competition. There's more places to publish your stuff, but it's harder to get paid. Um, and so frequently what happens because editors also don't have that much money and are stressed. They're frequently, we're as guilty of this as anyone else, like going to people like they trust, writers that they know, or recommendations writers that they know. It is difficult to get that step in the door where you can get the trust of people because they're going to be, they're looking at the name. And in guides, multiple people told me there's just not that favoritism and hierarchy mm-hmm. and not nearly as much. Like it's easier to get in the door writing guides because people are more like, I don't know, if you can do the work, fine, right? Like, it's because the byline just does not matter. Like, if you can turn the work in and you can turn it in on time, like, the name associated with it is meaningless to the, the traffic. Um, and so you, you'll see folks rising up the ranks where, like, okay, I'm just going to put in my time doing these guides. It gets my name in the door. It gets an editor to trust me. And then maybe I can start pitching them on other things because, hey, I proved that I can I can do this. So you often graduate out of guides work is the promotion out of guides into maybe what you wanted to do uh, all along. And there's also, 
Oh, oh I was just going to say, and almost always what that putting in the time looks like is like, how, how, how much am I willing to be exploited? Basically. Right. right? Yeah, like right. a lot of entry level jobs in general, but like this one seems particularly like the hours seem completely untenable because games are yeah. not getting any fucking shorter. Um, but you gotta, you know, you'll only ever have a certain, a, a, a small amount, a smaller than you expect amount of time often with, with these games to, to get through mm-hmm. them. And I feel like, guides is particularly a place where like you're not just trying to blast through main storyline stuff guides you write for like here's where all the secrets are and like yeah. here's where every shit you get tired of looking for cranny. unless you want to go back and do right. it with a guide right <laughs> and like just imagining the extra amount of time that takes over like the already expansive time that games take to just get through on a casual playthrough and it's like mind-boggling that that it gets done, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's also worth noting that this doesn't even have to happen. This like use of guides also happens on the micro scale um, in terms of getting your foot in the door. I know people who'll be like, I'm going to pitch them a review and a guide, or I will do review and guides coverage for this game. And if I do both of them, if I offer both things, I'm more likely to get this review picked up because suddenly they have someone who's also willing to do guides coverage on this game that no one else at the website wants to touch. Um, And so it basically, if you take on both loads at once, you're way more likely to get your weirder pitches accepted if you tack on. It's like like the way they uh, do bills in Congress, where it's like, this is the fucking... (laughs) This is the pork. or the old like one the, for the studio, one for me. Uh, yeah, type, type exactly. Thing. But it's better pay. It's better pay for you too, though. Like frankly, yeah. like if you're playing like a longish game, like if you're, you know, the out. Per, I mean, the hour rate on a review or a guide is poor. But if you're doing both, at least at least you can tell yourself that you're getting a, like kind of mashing a little bit of that together. Um, I think this is this is a, a side thought. But also, so like one thing that struck me is, is kind of that even sites that I don't know, reputable might be too strong a word, but they're sites that are still like run by real people and like have mm-hmm. like, like, like mm-hmm. a masthead and bylines and such. And even they are like getting caught like doing this stuff where, where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, this, this appears to have not been uh, generated in house for, for this guy's traffic. And like it's surprising to see that stuff happening, but it, it does sort of tie into um like to me it is it, it has also felt of late like I, I was talking about this the other day on Twitter, just like search itself now is so horribly gameable that yeah. if I Google anything, you're being pulled into now content scraping sites. And that's another like Guides, I think, are weird is because it's more noticeable when this when this sort of theft is happening, because like this is territory that real websites basically own as far as Google is concerned. Right. Like if you're looking for if you start like searching, if you start just entering search terms for like, uh, you know, how like how to handle, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, a, a boss name at this point in the game, you will find usually near the top of those those results uh, like the same handful of sites, right? Their order might shuffle, but it's like a rotating cast of like eight, 10 sites. Sometimes a weirder game. That's where like one of the like more nichier sites gets their, you know, gets their, their foot in the door. Mm-hmm. But if you like search for other stuff, um, you know, like random consumer goods, et cetera. A lot of times now you enter the, the scraped content 
uh, ecosystem where it's like there's no way a human edited this website or touched it. Mm-hmm. There's just no way a person wrote this. This is clearly like stitched together SEO terms and then ripped content from some real article somewhere. Uh, and and I and I feel that's that's another aspect of this is that in some ways like this is more valuable content than ever and keeps the lights on uh and also at the same time it is it isn't just exploitable by uh like the websites themselves it's exploitable by search engines uh who you know love like who who love to serve up this kind of answer and not even link to the ultimate like source of the information. Yeah, there's no regulation on that. Like if Google all of a sudden decide to do like you, you know when you search Google, we touched on this a little bit like in the when we were talking to Adam Conover uh and you know you, you know Google does that like an, they try to answer like they yeah. it, like algorithmically comes up with questions related to the search term to try and just and it's just scraping information and then trying to answer that. It is not hard to imagine a universe in which it is able to scrape guides give you that information um i mean it already in some ways can do that that. i can yeah by highlighting um but i mean like it could do that even further by having like drop down forms that are just i mean it's just you are at the whim there's no regulation they are under no obligation to financially uh pay any of these websites big or small like it would seem to be very obvious that if you are just pulling that information by not serving the website it's ad click or 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 time spent or something uh, that then there should be a financial payout that happens as a result of you accessing that information. And, you know, that that that's, that that, you know, that's where, you know, regulation should be stepping in to uh, to take care of that. But we, we find ourselves in a place where I and I don't think that's going to happen. The Unless thing, you're Australia. The thing that I find deeply disconcerting and and I think unsettling as someone who is very new to this industry is having grown up amidst this pivot that you're talking about rob like five years ago right this is when i start in the industry with the foreknowledge that eventually the model is going to break and like patrick what you're describing is a wave in which this entire this entire business model that whole websites have utterly reoriented themselves around can go up in flames like that Right. That in it, I'm, it feels like looking at a new bubble uh, and seeing a bunch of my friends and peers all in that bubble and hoping that when it bursts, there is something else uh, for those people. Uh, and it is um, often existentially uh, worrying uh, for me. It's also interesting. Maybe I don't know if this is a generational thing. I'd be curious if, if people wrote in if they could clarify this at all for folks that are younger. It's what what, guides and walkthroughs are one of the few things in which like we're seeing a a grand transition to audio and video formats and not that the written word isn't still important or has its place, but especially amongst younger generations, like there is just a desire to consume a lot of these things video. And so there are walkthroughs, guides, all this stuff on YouTube here. This focus focus pretty exclusively on 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 editorial websites and the relationships with contractors and freelancers that they're they're bringing in to do this work. but I, it is one of those things where like being able to search text and then having text come back to explain to you a thing is, at least from, from, from my view, is like more useful than me scrubbing through a 12 minute video trying to tell me the exact same thing. But I don't know if that's me and my habits or if that is uh, a generational divide. 
so I can speak to this a little bit. Uh, people I know who have done both basically all agree that um, like regular guides write-ups get more traffic significantly mm-hmm. and are better received uh, because they're just more direct and to the point. They're more effective. Right. As someone who has used both text and like video guides, I will always pick a text guide over a video guide. It is just that the video guide space really overtook YouTube in a significant way around live service games. And live service games uh, and, and YouTubers were first in the door uh, on like live service game uh, like guides coverage um in a, in a very real way it feels like some of them were first in the door on that and a lot of like major publications are now playing catch up uh with these like massive repositories of of video guides um but when those real text guides are put out even if a video guide has already covered that information immediately the text guide shoots up uh and and does well uh from speaking to um because i often ask friends about this from speaking to uh like peers that is what happens the text guide will immediately shoot up even if there is a good video guide available because Mm. for the most part this information is better parsable via text some things are parsable or better parsable via video but very few of them if you're talking about like combo timings and like a character action game video is your go-to yeah um but it's gonna even it's even gonna underscore the dependency on search because usually I'm not like I, like when are you actually looking? How do I get through this chapter in a game? That's not what you're looking up. You're sitting there being like, so I'm in a room. Uh, it's got the the gray stone wall, and there's the, <laughs> the, the there's the troll in the alcove one hit killing me. Troll alcove one hit killing, uh, and immediately you get you get results where it's like how so to survive the troll yeah. that's one hit killing yeah, exactly. you. Because that's because guides are guides are not just a a. There are just the walkthrough. Hit go to page three. Go to page four. Frequently. I most associate this just in my head with Polygon because those are the ones I, I seem to get most in, in my search results when I'm Googling something. But it'll be like, hey, what's an obvious thing people would look for that they're having trouble with? That's like a question. And then you get the how to survive the blah, 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 which is the chopping up of the guide to then serve on a, on a micro level these sorts of questions that you'd be looking up um, when you when you like hit a stumbling block. So when I was working at Fanbyte, this is what I did. Uh, if I was playing a game for review, I think I did a couple of these. Um, one of them was for Mortal Shell. Uh, basically, another one was for um, uh, Hard Space Shipbreaker. Uh, wait, no, actually, I think that Neri might have done the Hard Space Shipbreaker one. Um, I don't remember who. And there is a there is a Hard Space Shipbreaker write up and a Hard sh- Hard Space Shipbreaker guides piece. Uh, mm-hmm. And I forget which of us did which. I did a Monster Train one. Um, Neri, so strong. So strong. Um, basically, I what you do is you go to your editor and you write a list of like weird questions and irritating things that happened to you throughout the game, and then you're like, "Are these guides? Hey, <laughs> hey, do we think do we think that enough people are going to hit this question?" Uh, or you do the uh, really easy, really consistent SEO of just. X number of things the game doesn't tell you, or X oh, tips just this quote the game doesn't to, tell you. The, the, this quote I have in here from in the story from the the, uh, the guide's editor over at GameSpot, Mark uh, Delaney. Uh, 
Quote, if something is poorly explained in game, you can bet people will be asking for help online. I love when games don't explain stuff well because it keeps me employed. A great genre for guides writers is survival crafting games because they're often uh, so often a janky, confusing mess of in-progress systems. I think it speaks, you know, exactly to you. But it's also a different lens to think about how you're playing a game. Like when you uh, are having a there's a difference between having a frustrating moment in a game that you're thinking through as a critic and what your emotional reaction to it is. That's different than, well, does this rise to, well, this should be a guide that people, you know what I mean? Like those are, those are like two so, different modes of thinking. The, to Something that occurs to me here as well is that like, we talked a lot about how like websites depend on guides. Increasingly so does the industry because the, like, we all know that like QA is already hard enough. Playtesting for like appropriate signposting and like making mm. sure that the games and oh that's an int- i never thought that's about really it that different. way think about huh. like so think about how often like you talk about the experience of reviewing a game before guides are out and so there might be stuff that you end up fixating on in the review where like this i can't <laughs> believe this fucking shit can you believe like there's this part in the game let me let me lay this out for you and for you like it does loom large you're like day one patch a, fixes all of the stuff or, you're irritated or, no, with. the day one patch is the guide that comes out where like the thing that was irritating the hell out of you somebody's just like okay so the game doesn't make clear that actually you need to go to this other place for this item and talk to this quest giver before this is completable and so the thing that you were like fucking uh you know the the mime in the box trying to feel your way through the invisible walls uh to figure out how to progress the the guy just kind of solves that this is what sony was trying to uh sort of integrate with their mm-hmm. ui where it's like all the annoying frictions that you encounter what if you just like bring up the thing where it's like how do i get past this and and there's your answer think about um you know to to give you a deep cut here uh you know Ages ago, Justin McElroy just teed off on Nier because <laughs> he was fishing. And you understand how that happens. But like the whole hook for his like his reaction to Nier was like, this is totally fucking broken. There's a fishing quest that just doesn't. I just keep fishing. I can't find the thing. And you understand for a reviewer that destroys the experience for anyone playing in the wild. Like Game Facts has got you that 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 issue is solved within 25 seconds you're like it feels like this fish is hard to get immediately you're like oh there's a different place to go you talk about game facts here and it, it did uh peak something in me i think the other thing that's been interesting in the last five years is the shift away from the written game facts walkthrough right like that is that is also part of this economic shift is that guides writers have been filling a gap that i think kind of emerges with the death of forums uh mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and the death of forum culture and then suddenly this this new business is able to rise up in the power vacuum of something like GameFAX uh as a like actual place to get information about a video game as opposed to a place to uh say slurs about a video game <laughs> it's it is true like the the rise of these things does seem to replace the organic way these things would come out where uh you know first like guides sort of begin as answers to specific questions in forums and then oftentimes the people who are really good at answering those questions begin opening like they have their dedicated thread right we're like here's my here's my walkthrough i did it i did it gang what do you think and it gets sort of added on to it's also pre-wiki uh the attempt to sort of monopolize the wiki space um which is a- another thing that that drives this which is a lot of things that uh, I don't want to like the language can get loaded here 
uh, there are a lot of things that had a lot of value, but were also generated without monetary compensation because the compensation was provided in the context of community. Uh, Those communities were dealt a lot of blows and a lot of them substantially withered. And so the space was opened up for, I, I think really kind of the intermediate step in some ways is the fan wiki. And for there's this brief flowering of, wow, so you can just sort of create these really like readily parsable and, uh, not just parsable, but like navigable, uh, mm-hmm. like silos of information for walkthrough info, uh, lore info, etc. Uh, the, the Dark Souls wiki, like famously, is one yes. of those that like comes from this era of fans coming together to solve an obtuse, vague thing and collecting that community communal information. And in some ways, I I, I don't want to go too far of a stretch here, but like absent. The community being able to solve those games or come together, do those games maintain the same sense of mystery because the developers can have the confidence that the audience will work together to solve and discover those things where they hit frustration points? I don't know. Like, I, that's an unanswerable question. I can't, Miyazaki's not here. It's a hypothetical. But I think the, the predominant, like the ability for a game like Souls to go mainstream goes hand in hand with communities working together to uh, what is your frustration point with this game? Where, 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 what, what are you not able to fix? Well, it's okay. The community's got you. We put this all together. Like you can, here's your reference point. And then the game continue, can continue to operate on a certain level that maybe it wouldn't if, if, if those spaces didn't exist. And those started as fan things before they became fan starting websites that then get bought by media companies. And, and then now places like IGN or GameSpot as a website essentially started as a database. Um, and like that was part of the business pitch for why you did Giant Bomb. IGN has its own internal wikis that are re- unrelated to Wikia and, and other things like that. I, I was going to say that is the other uh, the, the other thing that we've seen is like the, the emergence of the website wiki, uh, which is the the website specific wiki. Like I'm right now I'm looking at uh, Fanbyte's Final Fantasy 14 section, which has a catalog of every single item in that video game, there are 34,685 pages uh, in this uh, items in this. They also have a model viewer where you can just like look at, you can test uh, different clothing uh, and, and items uh, on a character and then like spin the model around in like, in like 3d space. Right. And so websites are now also entering this space. Um, which I think is uh, really fascinating. They're also doing what companies see. used to do. It used to be that a game came out, and especially if it was a game that like was expansive or an RPG, there was a glossy strategy guide that had all of this information. Go look up the PDF of the Demon Souls official strategy guide. It is fucking wild. It has step-by-steps how to do all of the quests. This is like put out by um, uh, Atlas. Like it's that game has no mysteries. They wrote a strategy guide and explained everything about it, and it's an officially sanctioned. But that stuff has largely died out. There are occasional strategy guides, but they are mostly boutique items, and they're essentially like glorified art books. Um, mm-hmm. And there is an argument to be made that essentially game companies gave up on this stuff so that websites could do labor that acts as promotional yeah. material for their games. I I think there's a. I don't think it's as is as insidious as companies got into a boardroom and said that's what we're going to do. But I think they stumbled into it 
and now continue to exploit it now that it exists because it essentially allows them to just offload an enormous amount of labor that otherwise these game companies used to do and it acts as free marketing for their games. Yeah, I mean, I I also think that like the guide fulfills the role so much better. And I like when I was a kid, I treated strategy guides as glorified art books. I I when I was a kid, it was so much fun to get the new RPG with the art book and like or with the strategy guide. The Pokemon strategy guides were a joy to me because in that strategy (laughs) guide, there is also a Pokedex. So you get to see these illustrations and like information about every Pokemon you're going to meet in this game. But the illustrations are really nice. And so I would just go through sometimes and be like, I'm going to flip through all the cool Pokemon that there are. Boop, boop, <laughs> boop, boop. Hey, look, it's Absol. That's a butler with depression. Nice. That's the <laughs> ultimate Pokemon. They don't need to make another one after this. This is the most Pokemon a Pokemon has ever been. They did it. It's a Pokemon. It's a dog with depression, and he's a little butler. Like, you can't get better than that. So, I think one... You mentioned something earlier, Patrick, that I'm curious about is guides are a way to break in. But I am curious, do you break into a ladder of advancement with that? Uh, Because I, I, I... I am curious. It's it's one of those things that'll unfold, I suppose, also as like co- cohort uh, rotation occurs. But like, I have seen some guides writers, maybe maybe not recently, but I feel like a few years ago, certainly there's a lot of angst over. It's a treadmill. You break into a treadmill, mm-hmm. and then you're the guides person. Yeah, I don't. Uh, yes, I, I think probably more often than not, it is a treadmill and not necessarily a ladder to progress. But, um. I'm without defending the practice or how they are exploited. If this is what you want to do, you know, if we're talking about, you know, like uh, in terms of websites, like trying to create like greater RNG, like this is just, if you want to be a full-time writer, you need a, you need a, you need a better card to play. And having bylines is a card to play. Having a relationship with an editor who will answer email is a card to play. Like getting a pitch turned down most pitches don't get responded to is a card to play. And so, no, I don't think it's a good path. There aren't many great ones. Like, um, and so if this is what you truly want to do again, it's not defending like how exploited a lot of these writers are at the bottom of the the ladder, but you have to get your hand on the ladder somehow. Mm -hmm. And if you can at least put your hand in that place, maybe that editor you worked with, like is the one that fills a spot at Eurogamer and then remembers you, you know what I mean? Like that's, it's really just about increasing your chance to get lucky. And then it's not a guarantee, but like once you get in the circle, like people do have your back and like, it is easier to get jobs. It is not just because you get hired at a website doesn't mean that you'll always get hired, but boy, it's a lot fucking easier. You know, Um, you know, I, I still worry about, you know, as, as well off as I have gotten and as experienced I've gotten, like it still stresses me out. It's, it's not like I just have like a list of jobs sitting there underneath the table I have some confidence that I'm like well known enough that again like it gives me better chances at staying on yeah. on the on the ladder and I think for a lot of guides writers one I I do think there are people who just wish it was better respected better paid so they could just and had better hours some of this is on game publishers right in which um this is where the 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 search engine optimization collides with game publishers not giving access also games being finished very late so games Publishers can't even give proper access, right? There are a lot of colliding factors here. COVID, you know, 
only underscores it to a higher degree. But this is not a, a world in which you are frequently getting code for games a month in advance. You're getting it, if you're lucky to be on Nintendo's list, they will frequently, they finish their games early. They sit on them for months. And so there were people that got Xenoblade Chronicles 3 a month in advance. Um, Like, I just glanced at my email and like, you know, I've gotten a code for a game that comes out like weeks from now. And so that's different. A lot of times, you know, I got a DM from somebody who's a games writer who's a, a friend of mine. And like, oh, yeah. You know, when I did guy stuff, freaking I'm getting it 72 hours in advance and it's like a 25 hour game. Um, and so yeah. that's that's brutal. Um, I also think that like guides labor, a lot of guides writing that we're talking about. I mean, one, some people just really love doing guides writing. I think that is important. It's, it's to, technical. To it's technical writing, right? Like, yeah. I mean, like I absolutely, it's not for me, but I 100% yeah. see the appeal. Yeah. I have, I know some folks who just like, who love doing it, um, which is one note, but also it is class, it is classic hope labor. Uh, for a lot of people, it is just the, the classic idea of what hope labor is. Um, which is uh, labor that is like built on the idea of future connection. Um, working for exposure is an example, uh, yep. but it is basically a way of of deriving addition for a someone with power to derive additional value or underpay someone for work that will theoretically potentially lead to more opportunities later down the line. But this is also, I mean, I think the foot in the door aspect is part of what I was talking about earlier with the notion of combining your guides with a review and being like, Hey, I will pitch you both of these things and that will get me in the door and that will get my name attached to this at least a thing that people will notice my name for uh versus just the guide um and i think that um i mean i think it's really difficult um this is a weird hard industry to break into um and will continue to be and will probably get worse about that um <laughs> i i agree <laughs> We will uh, leave it there for now. Before we take a break, I want to get into some games. Patrick, I want to start off with you. Uh, You've been playing a game that I've seen a lot of positive vibes about, uh, Rollerdrome. Yes, Rollerdrome is the uh, new game from the folks, uh, Roll7. They did Ali Ali game, um, you know, uh, uh, which is itself. uh, They released earlier this year, Ali Ali World, a sequel, which is a just a really cute, excellently made skateboarding game that did absolutely nothing for me. Like it's frustrating to look at a game and go, you are so well made. You did all, you did everything. I respect everything that's here. No notes. Don't even do it differently, but just, just this, like the, the skating did nothing for me. I tried for a couple <laughs> hours and was just like, this, this is not, mm, this is beautiful. But, uh, and I hope this studio does something adjacent to this that i can like find a better entryway to and like roller drome is that it, <laughs> it is a studio that is taking its understanding of momentum and physics and uh uh just movement and applying it into a different context like giving you fucking guns um and so roller drome finally uh yes uh i have never seen Rollerball, um, uh, but like it, it is definitely out of that, uh, like a 70s, 80s era of like, what if you had 
um, you know, arena sports. <laughs> they can also kill each other, the running man, uh, <laughs> things of that nature. So Rollerdrome uh, has a pretty light narrative, but you are essentially somebody who has been plucked by a corporation to cover like the $400,000 or whatever it costs to become an entry, uh, an entrant into the, the Rollerdrome. Uh, and uh, it is a, a game in which uh, you're on roller skates, you have access to weapons, uh, and it's a game about chaining together combos. So you you see the through line between an Ali Ali world and a roller drone um, in, in, in which uh, your ammo is refilled by doing tricks. And so uh, you can start to uh, the, the, the kind of rhythm of the game is you get dropped into an arena. There are enemies all around you. You uh, are firing at them, and then as your bullets run out, you want to grind, you want to jump off of uh, a jump and, like, do a flip, do a grab, combine those things. That's going to get your ammunition filled up faster. Um, as you go along, you get access to, like, uh, weapons that have, like, really interesting nuances. Like, you start with dual pistols that can hit from a distance and kind of just are pea shooters. They don't do a ton of damage. Uh, but then you get a shotgun. And not only is that shotgun do like better damage when you're up close, like maybe you're skating along a rail and then pow. But it also has sort of a uh, shit. What do they call it in Rookie gears of war? Uh, no, the, the, re- the, the reloading reload. mechanic active reload. Like think of that, but that's on the reticle uh, on the enemy that you're targeting. And there's these two blue lines that converge and that's called a slug shot, which is just a cool name <laughs> for a thing you do in a video game. And that basically is like, Hey, like an extra powerful shot that can like turn taking out three fourths of an enemy's health to like, boom, like you just nailed it. And so I'm watching this trailer, which I think is one of the most hype things I've ever seen. Yes. Uh, it is like, I think it appears that you can, you can do like, uh, you can skip ricochets off some of the walls, uh, to get around yes. armor. Uh, like it, it seems like there's a lot of possibility, uh, for ways you can play and like how you can, how you can like navigate, uh, the, the tactical environment. It gives it gives you a lot of uh, the there's a lot of vertical and horizontal. Like the level design is really well done. You have they dole out in the first like set of levels access to things like uh, uh, wall riding um, or I forget what they actually call it. But essentially, if you there are three ways to encounter um, like a, uh, a jump. And it's like if you if you come up to the lip of something and you just hold jump, you will like you will go straight up. You'll go vertical. If you're holding forward, then your character will like go over that hump and onto the next next uh, flat area. Um, you can also hold like at least in the controller, it's like left bumper, and it's like if you're going over something that will kind of like tilt your character downwards, so you can like achieve a downwards trajectory, so that um, you could like roll over onto the next hill. There's just a a lot of nuance to the movement, um, and I I played like half an hour of it about a week ago, and then last night I like really sat down and like I want to like crack crack this and see like you know is this a it's a high score game there are objectives on each level a light narrative some of this, oftentimes things like high score can be like that that's not a motivating factor for me so i like the fact that there are objectives and i had this moment where there are all of these uh sub objectives per level that are beyond just defeat all the enemies and survive um and these are as simple as collect all the combo tokens, which is like as you defeat an enemy, you go from 1x to 2x, 2x to 3x, and so on. And let's say you're too far away from an enemy and that meter is going down. We'll grab a combo token and you'll move up to the next level and also get another 30 seconds before you've got to deal with it. Um, 
or uh, d- d- do a nose grind and kill an enemy with a shotgun. So these like different ways to interact with the world beyond just the high score. And then I, I just thought I sort of hit my skill cap. I was like, okay, you know, like I'll just do all the objectives. I can two of the objectives on each area are beat some character in the narrative's high score and then another one who's like an all-timer. It's like, okay, I can do that middle that middle tier, but I'm just not going to be able to do that high tier. And that's okay. Kind of like I've talked about with Neon White. It's like you realize your skill ceiling and then uh, that kind of gives you a sense of how to go forward. Well, I accidentally on like the third area just masterclass, just fucking rip through end with like a 26 combo, didn't get touched. I was like, oh, oh okay, actually, I think I think I I think I cracked it. I think I understand how to play this game. And like part of that was like actually the most important takeaway from uh, Rollerdrome is just keeping the combo going. Don't sweat over doing elaborate tricks to try and gain up your score. Just like keep the combo alive. And once that clicked for me, I went back, swept through all the previous stages, got the absolute highest scores that you could without like getting into the S rank and just I, I wish I like it was the kind of thing where like I want to record clips of this. I'm <laughs> fucking cool as shit, um, and I'm sure there are people who are going to be much better than me as soon as this game comes out, which I think it's out now. Um, but it looks sick. It plays sick. Uh, I adore it. It's extremely, extremely good, um, and, and comes with a uh, a highest of recommendations. It feels in the um, the the uh, in the way that I loved Boomerang X last year. Um, just a very good twitchy arcade game. Um, that has some good carrots on, on, on for you to keep playing. Uh, well, it's it's extremely good. I feel like I'm guy who only knows Mobius art every time <laughs> I, I see a game looks like this. And hey, I'm like, yeah. so hey, this Mobius? kind of this kind of cool reminds Mobius me of Sa- this kind of reminds yeah. me of Sable. <laughs> Yeah, that's that. Listen, that was my first thought. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. nice. I love this Sable esque Mobius. And then my second thought was Mobius. But yeah, also, I can't stop watching this fucking trailer. I've just Dude, been watching it on repay yeah. as you talk because it's, it's so unreal. fucking good. It's so good. Uh, it's, they also have a cinematic launch trailer that's also excellent. Just delicious. Uh, and if memory serves, uh, Cam did write in his review that Sable would have been better if it had been about combat sports. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I mean that was a common refrain. They oh, said they were going to take that into account for Sable too. Um, but uh, you know, we'll see when we get there. What if what, yeah, if, that, what no. if your journey, your calling in the world, was to be the best at a at a dystopian <laughs> blood sport? Like, look, that fr- frankly, that would have fit. Like, kind of, you played all. I, we both beat that game. Uh, Ren, did you play all the way through Sable? Yeah, too? yeah, yeah. Yeah, like you know what? Frankly, if there was a side quest that was like, "Hey, do you want guns for fifteen yeah. minutes?" Uh, <laughs> like, I would have believed it. Like, it would have fit the world. Yeah, I mean, listen, I there's moments. I think that I'm really excited for Sable 2 when they give the lead <laughs> singer of Japanese Breakfast a 45 caliber handgun. <laughs> I think uh, she'll do good work with it. Uh, she's a great musical uh, producer, great singer, and I think that's what was really missing from the first game yeah. uh, mm-hmm. is the lead singer of Japanese Breakfast being given a gun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. drone. Uh, Get in on it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. It's very uh, good. It's, I think it's on just, it's, I don't know if it's, it's not on every platform right now. No. It is on it trailer. Is, it is out though, by the way. PlayStation and PC. PlayStation and PC. A, uh, Rob? No, it's a great Steam Deck game. Roller drone. I'm, is it? Yes. Because it seems, yes. okay. Can it, 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 it runs well. It runs excellently. Oh, shit. Um, okay. uh, it, I did end up like so my, my not breakthrough- re- Regency Solitaire off my, uh, Steam Deck rotation. <laughs> My uh, Mr. Worthington clean in half. 
Jesus. Uh, I my breakthrough <laughs> happened on the computer because, and also I wanted to experience the like the visuals on a larger monitor at a higher resolution. But it plays, it plays very good on the Steam Deck. All right, we're gonna take a quick break uh, for some for some advertising. But you know, if you're on the Waypoint Plus feed, waypointplus.com, mm-hmm. there are no ads. There's just awkward Ooh. pauses. Was not generated <laughs> by me. Hey. Just imagine when this happens in the next couple seconds. Just imagine as all of us, everyone at once in this podcast, taking a big sip. Keep hydrated, y'all. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. And we're back. Ren, so you've been, I don't know, I feel like you've been sitting on this game for a while because you got, this was an example of code coming in early. And early code. You playing said code. Yeah. And then embargo being like a month out. Yeah. So, (laughs) tell us, at long last, tell us about the Soul Hackers. Okay. Soul Hackers 2 is a game that I was really, really looking forward to. I am a big fan of the Shin Megami Tensei series. Uh, it has some of the best combat in RPGs. I think it has interesting things to say about the world broadly. And I think that that combat generally intersects with what the games want to say about the world in fun and interesting ways. They're also just great RPGs. Soul Hackers 2 uh, takes the core battle system from SMT games uh, that was kind of established and like firmed out in Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne, which is the press turn battle system. In the press turn battle system, when you hit an enemy's weakness, you get to go again. That same rule applies to you. So when the enemies hit your weaknesses, they also get to go again. That seems like it would feel very good and then very, very bad. Right. Also, if you hit an enemy's resistance, you lose two turns. So if basically it becomes about understanding your enemy's strengths and weaknesses and building a bespoke team to take on a specific boss, it is like a really puzzle designy approach to RPG combat. Soul Hackers 2 is the sequel to 1997's Shin Megami Tensei Soul Hackers. The original Soul Hackers was released before the development of the press turn battle system. And so, I guess they've decided to not include it in Soul Hackers 2, uh, and instead have a variant on that system. The variant is bad and simple. (laughs) Uh, It kind of smooths off all of the rough edges that make the series tremendous for me. Um... Shin Megami Tensei games have always been interested in the intersection between faith, belief, and technology. Uh, 
the Soul Hackers game in particular, as opposed to the rest of the Shin Megami Tensei series, have been obsessed with it. Uh, the first game is uh, about you averting a world-ending apocalypse in a really, really neuromancer, uh, really snow crash version of virtual reality uh, and a, a very snow crash-esque cyberpunk world. This game uh, puts you in a cyberpunk world a little bit later on and down the timeline. Uh, I believe it's in the 2080s, where the game's basic premise is that humanity has gotten really good at technology. But in that time, we have also stagnated. Uh, and the game basically goes, humanity has stagnated to the point where we're about three years away from like a legitimate apocalypse because of this stagnation. But it is like very roaring 20s. And in the world building end of things, the game is great. The environments are gorgeous. The character designs really have this, some of them have this very real like roaring 20s, um, golden age, like fashion outfits that are ostentatious and weird in such a way where you're like, I feel like this is a sign of bad things to come. Uh, but there's other characters who are dressed just like normal ass people. Um, and on the character side of things, I think the game's really strong. Uh, you have a four character party. Uh, you play as this is real Ringo. Uh, Ringo is the physical manifestation of a AI that has ascended beyond human intelligence uh, and has basically become the physical manifestation of the idea of information in the world. And mm -hmm. so this AI can now see both forward and backwards in time and is basically like, I think humanity is about to be wiped off the earth by themselves. So I'm going to manifest you pretty girls because you have a sister. Um, I'm going to manifest two pretty girls to avert the apocalypse. You get manifested, you have to protect a couple of characters, those characters die immediately, and then you hack their souls to bring them back to life. After hacking their souls, you go on an adventure uh, trying to prevent this coming apocalypse. Uh, the mystery is solid. It's like a totally like solid mystery. The characters are fun to be around. I like Arrow, who's your like standard like protagonist Phil, but I actually think that they do a really good job of making him feel like a fully featured person. Um Milady is a woman after my own heart. Excuse me. Uh the game her name is Milady. Yeah, that is alarming. Uh, uh, <laughs> can you spell oh, no, no, no. that? M-I-L-A-D-Y. Now, what if I told you that's not how the game pronounced it? Hmm. The game pronounces it Milady. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, so, yeah. So, question. Sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, it sounds like cool worlds, interesting yeah. story, fun characters. Does... Do the changes the the combat system, the battle system that you yeah. don't like? Does it at least make it a brisk moving game where you're like, ah, it is now easier to just like groove along with the story? No, 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 because basically what they've done is they have extremely simplified the battle system. It is way way easier to get through now uh, because in a traditional Shin Megami Tensei game, you are you go into a battle, you see a couple of demons, you have a few options. You can kill the demons for experience points, or you can talk to the demons and convince them to join your party. 
those are your uh, generally two options in combat, or you can run away, right? In this game, they remove demon negotiation, which is arguably the cornerstone of this entire franchise. Um, they remove demon negotiation and instead move it into this, like, you send out your demons and they stand around the map, and they will either, when you walk up to them, give you an item, have another demon join your party for free, uh, or give you a different kind of item, or heal your party. That is the four things that demons do in this game, and they take the role of treasure chests, uh, demons that you can negotiate with, a different kind of treasure chest, and healing spots, which is, I think, a bad choice. <laughs> um, but combat also takes longer because you don't have the That's press alarming. turn battle system yeah, anymore okay. because you don't have the way to absolutely decimate your opponents. What they've replaced it with is a modification on the press turn system called Sabbath. Every single time you hit an enemy's weakness, you apply a stack. And after you apply a certain number of stacks, at the end of your turn, all of your demons do a big attack. Um... And this can wipe out an enemy pretty quickly, but it's also a really long animation, which the game, thankfully, lets you skip through. Um, but it is a pretty long sequence. Um, you also don't get to summon individual demons anymore. Instead, your four party members have demons associated with them that you could equip them with, but don't actually show up on the battlefield, which I think is an uh, an L decision uh, because it's cool to see your demons show up and fight other demons. Um, but yeah, the combat system takes longer and feels less involved. Um, party generation feels less involved. Um, character customization feels less involved. Um, every character in Shimagami Tensei has a comp. And this is where the game's customization comes in. It has a comp. Your comp is the computer that your demons come out of. It is always a weapon. The most famous one being the Soul Hacker's One Comp, which is just a handgun. It is a handgun computer. You point it at people. It does work as a handgun, but also it is a computer that summons demons. Uh, <laughs> and you can basically put different modifiers on your comp, like, I want plus eight damage uh, on my comp. Um, if you're Jordan Peterson, uh, and then you can kind of do slight modifications to them, but none of it feels significant. It is a major disappointment uh, for me. So where does that leave us? Like, in terms of strength of recommendation or caution, you would sound like it. Like I hear this, and, 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 also, like, and also how relative to if you're a newcomer yeah. or not. Like, um, I, I, I imagine there'll be a freak probably quite a few people that maybe never touched soul hackers and yeah. soul hackers too is just, you know, the new JRPG um, that they're thinking about. Right. I mean, I think that it's a bad one of those. Like, I think it is, I think it is a, a worse version of a thing that already exists. Uh, I think soul hackers one is more interesting um, in most regards. Um, I think it is a game that has a lot of caveats as all Shin Megami Tensei games do a lot of qualifications on any recommendation of, of an SMT game. Uh, but soul hackers Two feels like they are trying to court a broader audience uh, by making it feel more like a persona game. And in doing so have stripped the series of, I would say core aspects of its identity. It's also just really inconvenient to do certain things. Um, like in a JRPG, 
<laughs> yeah, but this is this is a, to a to another level, like worse than other games in the series. Uh-huh. Um, for an example, there is an area that you can go to. That is, a, it is a three D map, right? You go to this map. There is one thing on that map, and it is the place where you combine your demons. Great. Would you like to go straight into the demon combining menu? I would, please. No. Seems convenient. No. No. You can oh. teleport right outside the door mm. to the demon combining menu. Or you can teleport to the beginning of the hallway that you walk down to go to the <laughs> demon combining menu. Okay. Okay. There are two fast travel points that are, and I do not say this lightly, six feet away from each other. And I've been thinking about this decision for the last two weeks because it is astounding to me. Um, But yeah, um, I love the Shin Megami Tensei games. And I think the real problem I have with this at its core is that for me, SMT games have always been about breaking the rules of reality. Uh, That is always what they've pushed you to do. That's why the games are so hard, is because you are fighting gods. And if you're going to fight gods, you have to be able to break the basic rules of the world in the same way that they do. Which means that the game's combat systems have to be developed enough to let you break the rules of the world. These rules are not interesting to break, nor do I ever feel pushed to break them. And... Mm. In that way, I feel like it is lesser than the rest of the series and also less than a lot of RPGs, which have a more clearly defined identity that they don't abandon in favor of like the hope of being more publicly accessible when they very much aren't. It is not more accessible. That is that's disappointing to hear uh, that because because I remember like the 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 energy and, and hype you had going into it, it's dismaying that it, it, it kind of ends up in, in kind of a, a middling uh, to, to fair place. Um, Patrick, I don't know if this is demonic and God slaying, but kind of gives a vibe of being demonic and God slaying. Thymesia? Sure. I don't actually. Yeah, that's that, that, that's probably how you pronounce it. I don't know. <laughs> Thymesia seems like a good uh, a whack at it. Yeah, this okay. Um, who went through a lot of a lot of swings on this one in the first night? Is okay. Why so won't sick. they make another Bloodborne? I don't know. Why won't they just port Bloodborne to PS5? Give us a PC version. Just unlock the 60 FPS mode that I've heard might be in a debug menu on the original Bloodborne. I, just why won't they do that? I don't know. In its absence, Thymesia <laughs> exists, in which would you like a little taste of uh, lower budget Bloodborne? And it is just off the charts. <laughs> it's, it's, sh- it's shameless. It's shameless. It's comical. Um, you just jump in and, and it is just, hey, you know, did you like that quick dodge? I did. Um, you know, it's. It is just a studio saying, uh, we're gonna we're gonna make the blood we're gonna make our bloodborne game. And so it it starts with a pretty poor impression. I don't know, there's some story about a plague. There's no 
voiceover, the text goes by very quickly. I like barely understood what was happening before it just drops you into a world. Like with barely any pretense of what's happening. It is just I, I don't yeah. It's in some ways felt like I've just been dropped into some fan made uh you know bloodborne tribute project. And so that leaves a poor uh first impression. But then I started playing the game and I can't separate my desire for those fuckers to make another Bloodborne or give me a reason to replay a Bloodborne again. Or if there are some truly interesting things going on here. And I think there actually are some truly interesting things going on here, especially if you like me, your favorite combat that from has ever done is, is Bloodborne, um, which is essentially like a faster version of Dark Souls. So a lot of what happens in Bloodborne is that you like one of its key changes uh, other than sort of like the speed uh, is that, uh, you know, you can regain health, uh, by attacking after being attacked. And so it's almost like your health bar has two layers to it. Um, and so that system does not exist here for the player, but it does in some ways exist for the enemy in which they have, um, you have a a regular attack and you also have a claw attack. When you do the claw attack, you review, it's like, if it's a gray meat, gray health bar, when you attack, you reveal the green layer underneath it. And the green layer is their true health. And so you're using your regular attacks to allow yourself to use these like more powerful, monstrous claw attacks. Um, you can charge the claw attack. And when that fully charges, you can suck a soul weapon out of an enemy. And it's a one-time use. But let's say you fought an you have an enemy that's got a hammer. Well, if you charge up that attack, you'll suck out a soul version of that hammer that you can then use to thwomp the enemy that's coming at you. Um, and this, uh, like, sort of setup, like, makes for, like, a really interesting and, like, notably, like, slightly different approach to what on its surface comes across as a, like, comical ripoff of... Uh, a game that I adore. Um, and actually I found myself not just playing half an hour. So I had something to talk about in the podcast, but suddenly I've played 90 minutes and I'm thinking about going back to the game because while it is on some level, just scratching an itch, it's just from refuses to acknowledge it exists. Uh, but I actually think they m- might be onto something. The level design is bad. The art not very good, <laughs> but like the combat actually is like mm-hmm. it works. It's interesting. Um, it has a skill tree. Um, and so you can start going into some really interesting directions. Like there's the, there's the, the, the kind of like uh, the dash dodge that like d- really defines Bloodborne's combat. And you can do an upgrade to that. That makes it. So the second dodge is kind of like, you're kind of like a uh, Akira sliding on the ground. And it goes a little further than the normal dodge. And so you end up being able to create like a really original play style that is not just about uh, in Bloodborne. It's a lot about your weapon choice is like what's going to define how you're playing. Like that is sort of like Mm -hmm. the class structure of Bloodborne. Mm -hmm. And here you have a lot of choices over movement and uh, the physicality of the character that doesn't exist in Bloodborne. And so that skill tree seems like you can create some pretty different m- like movement styles for, for the character that 
I don't know, seem interesting. Seem like the kinds of things you might do in a Bloodborne 2 that doesn't exist. Um, and so uh, instead I have Thymesia. Ren. Nice. This looks good. I, I mean, like, I, I'm looking at this and I don't think the game looks... Sorry, let me, let me, let me adjust that. This game doesn't look great visually uh, <laughs> no. and looks kind of um, off in terms of how its combat seems to be going. Uh, but I find the ideas behind it so fascinating that yes. I would I would definitely fuck with this game. I mean, it feels like a, akin to a mortal shell, which is another it like is. the surge. Like, um, um, like there are a bunch of these, right. but so many of them style themselves off of Dark Souls, right? And this one styles itself off of Bloodborne. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's where like, oh, I didn't care about Mortal Shell. I just, I played the Purge and it was like, oh, but like, what if robots? It's like, that didn't do anything for me. But this one, it's like, ah, but what if Bloodborne? I'm like, hmm. Now, what if, what if I told you, Patrick, mm. that The Surge 2 was actually really good? What if I- The Surge I, 1 wasn't bad. It's, I just, I, I, I played like three hours of it and was, I was good. Did The Surge um, 2 get more bloodborne Um, You definitely can do a lot more dashing around. Um, mm. There's a couple of weapons that let you do have that like quick dash. I also just think that the Surge 2 is a lot better at using the things that make its combat system unique, which are its limb targeting systems. Yeah, uh, where in Surge, in the Surge, what you're doing is you are doing Bloodborne style combat, but with the approach of a monster hunter player being like, can I break this person's arm in such a way that when I kill them, I get that arm piece because I think it's a cool looking weapon Uh, or like, oh shit, that guy's got a really cool helmet. Okay, let's find a way that I can attack this really vulnerable part of the body uh, and take them out quickly. And so one of the things that is really cool about that game is making the decision uh, to target a limb and try and get something from an enemy or just kill them outright quickly. Uh, And so getting a actual piece of equipment requires a lot more work and a lot more intentionality. Uh, And also I think that game's interest in how human bodies are used in labor systems uh and for labor is legitimately kind of interesting this is my this is my pitch on the search too everyone maybe try the search too is this good is all right I, I, yeah i i i liked the search one enough it just didn't it didn't compel me to keep playing the other, the other cool thing about this game is um and about how where it takes bloodborne's base combat and does some interesting tweaks is uh you have this this thing called the feather system which is basically like little knives that you can throw out and if if just uh just tapped, they refill over time. Uh, if just tapped, it will create, it will take off that first layer and re- reveal the green layer of their health. But when uh, enemies like, they do like like a critical attack, like and they kind of charge up a little green. And if you hit that at the right moment, of which the timing I don't quite fully understand, it's not, it's, it, like visually it's not represented all that, uh, it's it's tough to parse, or maybe I'm just too early. But if you if you hit that feather, you can essentially do like a stagger. Um, and so you have this sort of like the, the, like the, the way this like fight is, these fights are playing out. I, I never done a boss, but it like a mid boss equivalent is, you know, I have this big enemy, like in this arena and I'm like going in to get the small hits with my fast attack so that that creates, this, oh, and also the, it, that fills back up. That is a critical aspect of this. Like when you get the green bar exposed, you then need to attack that green bar immediately or within five seconds, it will just fill back up again. And so um, in the inverse of Bloodborne, where attacking gets you health back, 
This is their enemies get their health back um, or covered up by the armor layer unless you get in there. And so you can have sequences where like I'm going in like slash, 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 and then I'm dodging out and they've got some, they're exposed, but I'm too busy dodging an attack and then can't actually chip away uh, at their health meaningfully. Um, and it just, it has a good, it has a good flow to it. I apparently like the early demos of this, like the combat was really sloppy and not that tight but the, the the studio has done a really good job of listening to the feedback and so if you play i didn't play those demos but if you played them and kind of bounced off it because the combat felt really loose uh it feels i mean again it's not f- from software but they have interesting ideas they are not just like the surge they are trying to take a template and appeal to a certain demographic um but put their own spin on it and it's not going to be the story it's not going to be the the art <laughs> but if you really like that combat and miss it, and there's really no other way to play something like it, it seems like you could probably do worse than this because I'm I'm quite liking what I've what I've played uh, so far, in a way that I went from like again the opening conversation of like well this is a comical ripoff that maybe I don't need to dunk on this on the podcast and I'll just not mention it and then went hmm. Hmm. But then late at night, you find yourself standing over yeah. the sink playing Thymesia. Yeah, yeah. I, like maybe I'm like, not telling my friends about it. I'm like, good. No, yeah, you know, Thymesia, yeah, just rip off, just rip off a bunch of trash. And like, <laughs> yes, 12 hours into Thymesia. <laughs> uh, so, Kato, since we're all being our essential selves here. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you posited something in our side you've been playing uh a dragon ball z game yeah and you felt you had identified sort Fortnite. of a ground zero location number one victory royale it's about Fortnite. yeah <laughs> i did play that we can talk about that later if we want but, you should please yeah i yeah. want to hear but um yeah i w- uh, so i had this analog pocket which patrick so graciously gave me because he was not going to do mm-hmm. anything with it and the cores for that came out so i was playing some um roms that i dumped from cartridges that i definitely own one of yeah, them being as this, one does as one does yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a more convenient format yeah no that's no, that's cool um a uh Eth- ethical roms <laughs> ethically sourced roms <laughs> there's a uh there's a uh game boy color game dragon ball z color ga- game boy color game which is essentially a card card-based uh rpg um and that i hadn't like played before so i was like oh this is interesting because i remembered once upon a time when i was a youngin finding a a rom for an uh uh an snes dragon ball z uh, gate rpg that was also card-based and so i've been playing this and it's it's pretty interesting it uh really leans into the specific uh, battle like um cadence of a Dragon Ball Z fight where uh the first like three quarters of it is people like pounding each other and not getting much done and then someone gets really desperate and does a giant big attack that kills the other person uh deals a lot of damage and there's actually some very interesting mechanics in this one where uh there are certain cards that will fully like negate an enemy's attack but you have to you're basically just blindly, not not really blindly, but you're basically just trying to predict what attack they're going to throw out. Um, so the, it's it's there's like a there's like a a really fun kind of back and forth of like, is this the turn that they're going to use their attack because they've charged up enough power? There's also like a the the like resource management part of it is also you know like 
in in the anime you know you see see them like yell for a long ass time that that is like a specific move that you can always do what people associate with the with the anime yeah, more yeah, than exactly. anything perhaps just yeah. yell a lot of yelling and and wind blowing their hair up and stuff um but uh there's like you only have like one or two moves that you can do that basically don't do any power and then all the cards that you get as you're drawing into like those all cost a certain amount of power so there's a, like an interesting interplay of just like okay i need x amount for my like my super move that's going to deal a lot of damage but i also want to hold enough uh for a couple of these defensive moves cuz if if i get hit by their super move i'm also dead um and it's very much about like just trying to suss out when your enemy is going to try to hit their super and dodge it uh and or dodge enough of their other moves that the super isn't going to kill you because uh it 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 does a lot of damage but you also need to you do need to like, kind of chip away to like get into like that kill range you know um and that's interesting and i was starting to think back to that other game the the SNES version but did you have a question ren no, no, no. Oh, I wanna, sorry, I, I keep you... going. I, I, I do have something to say, but I, I want to keep going. <laughs> um, and I looked that up. I was just curious, like, what other like DBZ games? Like, why, why is this a thing that like they have these card based RPGs and like how far back does this go? And it turns out the SNES ver- uh, ROM that I had played is actually two NES games that they mushed together into an SNES remake. So like the the originally like the very first one of these that existed was an NES Dragon Ball game um with a totally different card system that was similar in that your your cards both had an attack and a defense and you're trying to play against what you think your uh, enemy's going to throw out and you know come out on top depending on what your hand draw is and just like taking the best options it's it's interesting it's almost like trying to read an opponent in a fighting game but it <laughs> turn based that's what i was gonna say <laughs> yeah. like that's the thing i've been thinking yes. this entire time i was like trying not to be woman who's played 20 hours of guilty gear strive in the last two weeks <laughs> but like i was thinking this entire time you are describing a fighting game yeah. you are describing a translation of a fighting game into a card game and i've been stoked about it this entire time yeah it's 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 really neat and i think it, i think it pulls off off that kind of tension of like yeah, trying to read your opponent, trying to make the best like moment to moment decisions in like a, a turn based way. Um, all of this is to say, I wonder, I truly wonder whether or not this is like one of the earliest because it's on the NES, and I feel like this genre is having a moment in these recent years. But I cannot remember like or like they're not popular enough that I can trace some sort of through line from these original NES games. Or did this idea just recur? Right. And this this is an evolutionary (laughs) dead end that then organically reoccurs years later. Right. It's it's the Carson, it's the version of Carsonization for video games. Eventually we will come back to the card based RPG, the card based battle system inside of a, a story like game of some sort. Um, and uh yeah, I mean part of it part of this part of me wanting to bring this up is also to ask like th- if anyone happens to know, if anyone listening happens to have any other like card-based games like that fit this kind of mold of like it's not a game of a physical card like the way Magic Online is. It is a 
card based system within like a a, a game. A story you want some game. missing link ideas? Yeah, like, I'm like if trying there to... is a traceable path. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious. <laughs> Kato, yeah, we gotta play. We gotta play Metal Gear Acid. Kato, we gotta right. play. I've heard of we this. Gotta, <laughs> we've gotta play. Kato, we gotta play Metal Gear Acid. Yeah, we have to play. Um. Oh God, there's another one that I'm thinking of. Oh, uh, the Kingdom Hearts one. Uh, there is a chain of memories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played chain of, chain of memories. memories. This is the, that was also one of my early ones of like, I love this, uh, and I wish kind of that 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 more of it existed. <laughs> I didn't mm-hmm. know. I didn't have the the when that game came out. I didn't have the like language to be like the reason I like this is is uh, I my interest in kind of card card randomization being an interesting uh, twist to always having all your options uh, in front of you in an RPG instead of being like have random ones and have them interact interestingly uh is I mean, is kind of a neat they space. named him ricardo and they knew not what they did <laughs> maybe stupid dreadful maybe um maybe it's less that they went extinct and more that they were just like critically endangered for a really long period of time right and then some conservation experts were like i think if we get we a couple of them. these together and like we reintroduce them to like a small environment like a yeah. preserve we can kind of get the population enough that we can re re-release them back into their uh native environments <laughs> and uh oh my god look at that the ecosystem has restabilized <laughs> oh no they are now an invasive species oh fuck we made them too <laughs> <laughs> There's oh, too no. many of them. Patrick is aggressively advocating hunting uh, card, card battlers. <laughs> uh, feel like, no, this is, a, this is a conservation success story. And no, no, need to wipe <laughs> out entire franchises. Uh, I am curious. Did anyone play around with the uh, Dragon Ball stuff in Fortnite? Has anyone yeah. played Fortnite Number lately? One yeah. It's about I did. I did. I did check, t- check it out last night. Um What's what's great is that there's um basically Goku's new skins. Goku's got a gun. Goku's got a gun. And he Vegeta's doesn't have to build. Bulma's got a gun. <laughs> and he doesn't have to build. That's this is the this is the this is the huge thing actually. So like this is why I play Fortnite. Um, they added a the the Goku signature Kamehameha. You know, his big old laser beam attack. Uh, finisher usually. Uh, into the game and. Uh, it's it's in all of the modes, which is amazing. Because sometimes they they'll like silo certain things that are a little like too wild into like uh, creative stuff. But this one is just in. I played a bunch of the no build, and it's uh, kind of a rare drop that drops out of the sky. You have to go find these capsule corp capsules, and it uh, is generally a one hit kill, but it is. Um, it's kind of like the Spartan laser in Halo, where it's like, you've got a bit of a charge up time, and then once you're shooting, it's kind of like, if you miss, you're kind of fucked, because there's a lot of, like, uh, recovery in between you could take another shot. Also, actually, the Kamehameha itself does have, like, a 15 second cooldown, so you just have to switch to another gun. Um, mm. but it's, it's fucking wild. I played a game with some other people, and we had, Goku and Master Chief standing next to each other. One of them, this like cell shaded cartoon. The other one, a Fucking like rules. A oh, Mark Zuckerberg's jumped, dumping billions down the drain to build a metaverse, and Fortnite's out it's here giving Goku exists. a gun. Like it's this is what the metaverse promises. Yeah, 
<laughs> it's fucking Fortnite. It's uh, you know, for for uh, uh, making Goku do the fucking goths under industrial goths under the bridge dance. You know. <laughs> yeah, you can also like. I mean, the last my last Fortnite series Fortnite experience was when I said. I'm going to shoot Darth Vader with a 45 caliber handgun. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then I shot Darth Vader to death with a handgun. Actually, I said, Darth Vader won't come through this door. And then he cut three walls open in a single <laughs> lightsaber swing. Uh, and then I shot him and took his lightsaber uh, and was killed immediately afterwards by an anime girl. Yeah, that's the other fun thing is that they've kind of started collecting. the When these events happen, they add little bits to the map. And so there's just like... Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a theme park. There's like Star Wars. The Daily Bugle's still there, huh? The, the Daily, Daily Bugle's still there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can exactly. still the go to the Daily stuff. Bugle. You can still go to the Spider-Man's webs are all over. Go see Spider-Man or not Spider-Man. I think he might show up sometimes. Uh, I got killed by Darth Vader because I didn't realize he was there, and he just snuck up on me once. Uh, there's now the Kame House, you know, little island off the side. Um. It's it's bizarre, honestly. Um, there's no way to get these skins from uh, playing the game. Though you have to buy them, which mm-hmm. is you know classic. There is a limited time uh, event, like quests, you know, little objectives that you can complete. And if you complete all of them uh, in a certain category, you get a Dragon Ball. Get all seven Dragon Balls. Get the dragon, Shenron. You get a glider, so you can ride on Shenron's back as you no. float down when you're dropping. Oh yeah, Kato, Kato. Yeah, I have an offer for you. Yeah, I have a question. What's up? On a scale of one to ten, hmm. do you want me to just buy you all of the Dragon Ball skins? Because this <laughs> no. is where I re- this is where I reveal an important Renata fact on this podcast. Oh, what's that? I have, I believe, fourteen thousand V Bucks. What the fuck? So, I began uh, playing Fortnite very infrequently with uh, my friend Nikki mm. uh, back in the summer of 2020. And for the last year, uh, I have maintained a Fortnite crew subscription because it just unlocks the battle pass and it's 10 bucks a month and I can kind of I can I can fit that bill and I've forgotten to cancel it, <laughs> um, which means that I do have that gives you 1200 V bucks a you month. Got I, <laughs> you got, I got Planet Fitness. I got Planet Fitness. I got Planet Fitness by Fortnite. <laughs> but now but now I get to be the like Fortnite sugar mommy for all of my <laughs> friends where I'm like, what do you want? Any, any skin you want. I got you any skin cool you want, any dance you want. Exactly. I'm a cool aunt and I'll buy you whatever you need as long as it's in Fortnite specifically, or you want me to buy you dragon's dogma, in which case I will do that. But most of the Fortnite. <laughs> I might have to take you up. I only, I only got the Goku. Just because I needed I to you. see Goku in Fortnite with running around gotta, with the fucking AK, basically. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna make that offer in a Discord server where and say I have fourteen thousand V bucks to spend. If anyone needs any 14, Fortnite stuff, you let me know. It's a lot, dog. I I eat so many. One of these. One of these. One of these skins is like eighteen hundred. <laughs> so like you it'll, can. It'll buy go it. fast. It'll spend. Oh. Uh, 
so you mentioned so yes fortnite is is chaos fortnite is marketing fortnite is the metaverse but let's go somewhere where things do make sense where where things follow a certain logic uh kato Mm -hmm. it's time to make your predictions about what awaits us next in destiny 2 yeah i just gotta follow the sword logic and we're all good um it it's wild to think that a thing that I tweeted about years ago might actually come true in in Destiny, but there are rumors flying around that uh, we're we're closing in on the next season. They just finished up the uh, seasonal storyline for um, uh, this year, and we're gonna get our ne- our, ne- our big next uh, reveal. The next like stream is next week, August twenty third, which will reveal what the next big expansion is, which is probably gonna hit. In, I don't know if they actually said this yet. I might have missed it, but last one was Witch Queen, which hit in February. And usually they're on a kind of year basis, but COVID changed all that because Witch Queen was supposed to be in the fall before and then it got pushed back. So who knows where we are on the schedule. But um, coming up, there are rumors that the next expansion will include a rework to power level that I've personally kind of wanted. For a very long time, where right now power level in the game is, um, it feels kind of like meaningless number go up work in a way that used to be okay, but isn't to me anymore, I guess. Well, cause there's two layers, right? There's power level and that, like, do you want to explain like the relationship right. power level has to the character, which is why people are like rooting for it to be essentially taken out of the game and replaced yeah. with XP, is I think what I've what I what I have surmised. The, the, yeah, there's basically two uh, different uh, forms of leveling in this game. There's XP leveling, which goes into like once upon a time when you were playing this game, you would gain levels like a normal like RPG system where you gain experience, you get enough experience, you go up to the next level. That quickly gets supplanted by power level, which is essentially a gear score, right? Each piece of gear that you own, each piece of armor, and each gun that you have equipped adds up to an average number that is your your power level. And certain um, at certain kind of cliffs, you do or take more more or less damage depending on how over or under you are the like current activity you're doing. So if you're like 1550 and the activities 1590, you're going to be taking more damage from enemies and enemies will be harder for for you to kill. Um, which essentially is, you know, a difficulty slider, right? You could probably in a, in a, in a different type of game without that didn't have levels, you choose the harder difficulty if, if you want that sort of challenge. But if not, you just put it on easy mode, which is where you're at level. Except in this game, like, uh, you know, a lot of RPGs and, and stuff, you have to, like, do a lot of work to get to that level. And it's all random because it's tied to, um, it's tied to, uh, your gear, right? So you're, if you're, like, taking just, like, trying to get up, make the number go up as much as possible, as quickly as possible, you'll go through this, uh, kind of loop of, equipping whatever is the highest no matter what it is even if it's like i don't fucking i don't fuck around with smgs i'm holding on i'm using this smg because it is currently my highest and in order to get my next level up i want to keep using it and and i want to keep doing the highest level possible activity in order to get the best drops 
because if there's always you know the option to just not use the the thing and you'll still get the drops that are mm-hmm. uh based on everything that's in your um in your inventory and in your vaults like they actually base the drops on everything you own but you're if you're still at a power deficit for the like high level activities like it's going to be much harder and it, at a certain point it turns into nigh impossible and a slog to get through that stuff if you're severely underleveled so the best way is to just equip the highest thing you have that'll let you do the highest possible activity to continue to get higher level drops and it like I, I see where they started with this and like why they used this originally. They were trying to go for this MMO thing. They wanted more RPG elements to it. But looking back at Bungie's history and like the way that Halo worked out, I'm just like I tweeted like ages ago. They need they sh- they can very easily get rid of this system and just replace it with like. A, a difficulty modifier and adjust. You can even adjust like how how much um you know how many uh rewards you get from that based on what difficulty you choose and things like that. Like there's still ways to make it in, an interesting choice to make to do it at a harder difficulty. But it feels like every time they like tick up the level for ten uh ten ten levels and then you have to like spend a week or two like madly grinding in order to be at level four the raid that comes out usually a week or week and a half after the expansion drops and that like one and a half weeks if you want to hit day one rating which is really really fun right like it's really really interesting to go in totally blind and not even through osmosis know anything about what is about to happen like that is where the game is at its most interesting to me in order to do that you have to do a lot of work you have to have a lot of extra time available that week in in that week only and honestly this kind of loop has burned me out on like I haven't played Destiny since I finished the raid the first time, basically. Uh I've like sort of kept up with the news of it and like I'm about to go in this weekend to do all of the story content before the season's over. <laughs> but like it's such an intense like week and a half if you wanna do day one raiding that it yeah, it's just completely like it's like I have to f- go through all the new content at a pace where it, it's like I wish I could take my time with this new story s- stuff in this new expansion. But instead, I'm like running through it as quickly as possible and maybe even missing lore right. beats because I'm just like running through the levels to try to get to the the point where I can start the the, the gear grind after the campaign is done. Um and so there's rumors. There's rumors. There's a, a a prominent Destiny leaker who said like they are reworking, uh, they're reworking power level and trying to possibly are going to get rid of power level. And currently there is a secondary kind of level up mechanic where after you hit max level with your XP bar, uh, every so often you get some rewards for like refilling the XP bar and every every season you get this little artifact which also uses that same xp bar and you get um new and specific to that season mods that you slot into your armor that are actually usually pretty interesting like there's a lot of really cool builds you can usually make from those um and it seems like they're going to just focus on that being the way that you grind you like you can use you can use that as the like 
grinding thing that you want to do if people want want something to chase they will be chasing levels for their artifacts through xp instead of chasing random drops to try to get their mm-hmm. power gear up to snuff for high level stuff right um i would love that personally <laughs> like to me it feels like that specific grind doesn't do anything for the game at this point it kind of made sense early as like an experiment of like okay how do we make an fps that's an mmorpg these are the kinds of things that mmorpgs have so we're gonna put them in kind of slapdash a little bit but like hey you know at a certain point you do finish uh like leveling your your uh final fantasy 14 character and what really matters is the number that is associated with your gear score right and it's just like for the type of game this is it doesn't feel it didn't feel in concert with the like actiony aspects of it and the the sort of lineage of like we used to have skulls right you used to have difficulty modifiers in other ways that you could adjust your 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 play session to right so. Here's hoping, honestly. I would love yeah. if they go, if they took out uh, power level and just made it like go grind go grind for some special mods because then I I can ignore that to a certain degree. It's like I will yeah. have the most optimal mo- uh build, but that's fine cuz I'm interested in a kind of difficult like situation with raids. I'm always kind of a little bit under level just because I don't I never have quite enough time to really get to like appropriate quote-unquote levels for the raid and I'm like that's where I live now. That's just like I'm I'm playing these these raids on legendary because I don't have enough time instead of because I choose to, you know. Right. Um Well, yeah. fingers crossed that uh they make Destiny good again for you. <laughs> uh they, they they bring you it's, they bring you back. It's such and a get bummer. You on that good grind. Yeah, or like the grind that I can mostly i want to be able to ignore a grind <laughs> like i want i want to play all the other parts of the game are fun to play except for the part where i have to play a certain amount you know i have to put in a certain number yeah. a specific number of hours just to rng out what I dumping want. time into stuff to get yeah to get a die roll exactly uh, it, like it feels like shit yeah, yeah. um all right so before we go for the day let's uh let's take a little dip into the question bucket uh our first question comes in from last galaxian hey waypoint crew i got a bit nostalgic during the recent stream of homeworld uh deserts of karak after hearing rob's delight at the npc tactical barrier uh it reminded me how these lines can bore deep into the recesses of your brain and can alter your vernacular entirely for example my friends and i still to this day say i can't build there in the warcraft 3 peasant voice for any situation where we can't go to an event are any of you broken in this way, or at the very least, do you have do you have NPC dialogue that lives rent free in your head? Their master works all. You can't go wrong. Go wrong. Yes. Stores. Yes. Stores. Patrick. Stores. I feel like do this a lot, right? Uh, Welcome to the circus of values. Well, that was that was what I was gonna say. <laughs> Welcome yep. to the circus of value. Come back when you get some money, buddy. <laughs> um, me- the, just the phrase "Metal Gear" exists rent-free in my head. Just Snake going, "Metal Gear, Colonel." That just plays on repeat in my head all day long. Um, uh, the uh, the fucking RE4 vendor. Is that all, stranger? What are you buying? What are you selling? 
the uh, <laughs> Viking in StarCraft quoting aliens in the pipe five by five. Yeah. Uh, pipe, because they said it every five. time. So that's you, you micro a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so every time you gave them movement command, they would probably say that. And so you would just hear them like saying that endlessly. Uh, that's one that is just that's one that's just absolutely stuck in my head. That's why you just play um, Zerg and get a bunch of. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Can well, that not, was cool to hear. <laughs> nothing, nothing sticks with you uh, as Zerg, except I guess angry, angry Kerrigan, uh, which is the only only character that's going to be uh, just just chatting you up uh, during that game. Uh, we got one. Listen, this is from the old bucket. We got to clear out some of it sometimes. <laughs> the old highway point crew. Hope you're all good. Rob, you mentioned a few times that you're into choral music. So the question is simple. What are your go-to choral bangers to get into the genre? I enjoy some classical, but don't know how many choral pieces beyond the lamb by John Taverner. Uh, fuck capitalism. Craig. Listen, Craig, here's the thing. Uh, I think you, you go by, you go by choral group, right? You cannot go wrong. Just like anything Steel Antico point puts out. Mm-hmm. banger anonymous four banger dale warland say okay so eventually all these all these groups do get to modern or semi-modern like english choral composition which sucks regrettably it all sucks uh because they begin like having modern touches and usually that just means playing with more discordance uh disharmony and also they're just the bleakest most sad sack fucking songs you've ever heard so eventually all choral groups like they they burn through you know they're not making any more palestrinas and so eventually you're on to modern english choral uh and it's just it's fucking grim but you you just have to put up with it uh but i would say like search by group i was trying to find actually as someone who was just who was in um uh, choir in college just recently uh, i'm trying to find the choral composer who uh, my professor was fucking obsessed with um oh oh eric whitaker uh we i had to sing so many eric whitaker pieces um that is the very much the discordance that rob is talking yep. about um a lot of a lot of interesting a lot of interesting a lot of interesting work um also like pretty difficult to sing um but like fun it's just it becomes a problem when the only thing you sing is fucking eric whitaker motherfucker uh oh wow this is not this was not intentional but hey look last everyone else is playing rng but last galaxian just has a winning ticket with with the, with those good questions uh wrote in I was completely floored watching Patrick's Elden Ring streams. He deathly dispatched an entire room of basilisks. Uh, wait, uh, a chill didn't run down his spine. He didn't make poor combat decisions. Death from creeping petrification isn't even on his mind right now. <laughs> I thought to myself as I watched him nonchalantly slay these hopping horrors. This enemy type has been the bane of my existence in all the Souls-like games since DS1. Being a vet of these games, my rational brain knows I can easily dispatch these breathy boys, but after failing to their putrid poisons for so, so many times, they elicit a sense of fear deep within the core of my being, which leads me to wonder... What enemy or enemy type in any game do you irrationally or rationally fear the most? Uh, so uh, recent is uh, Mr. X 
from Resident Evil 2, <laughs> which I think is updated exceptionally well in, in the remake. But um, I don't remember how the original RE2 works, but Mr. X is a like nemesis type creature that is just stalking you for a period uh, in the first half of, of that game. And uh, th- by far and away, th- the scariest moments I experienced in Resident Evil 2, the remake. And again, I can't remember if this is how the sound design functions in the original, but is hearing the footsteps across the police station. You know he's not anywhere near you, but you can hear them, and then you hear them getting closer and closer. And the way that sound design works in the update is unbelievable. I I was... Like unhinge. I I like I've watched all sorts of scary things. It takes a lot to kind of get to me. Um, but like stalking type enemies are like you know broadly ones that get to me pretty bad. And this one where you just never felt safe, or even if you were safe, because the sound, the pitter patter of Mister X's uh, giant stomps were very far away. You could tell it was rooms away. You have plenty of time. You know where the exit is. But then it would just get. And it a chill down my spot. I was so thankful when that sequence was over and I didn't have to worry about that enemy anymore. And it is rare that a game makes me feel that way. I think any enemy type that has a sense of hunting you mm. is automatically like just kind of like unsettling creep because like the game is perceiving you in a way that like a lot of times enemy types do not right where it's like oh okay i go into a space that's populated by these things and i fight them when you have sort of a feeling of like oh there's a hunter here now you just feel much more vulnerable like right close the door right like oh there are enemies there but i've shut the door i'm safe here's the new encounter that i'm dealing with and if like that thing comes isolate. through the door and looks yeah. around, I'm done. <laughs> like I'm like, I need to stop. I, no more. Like for me, so I think this was kind of ingenious uh, for for this game. Uh, System Shock Two, the basic enemy type, the the zombies uh, on the ship, the dudes wandering around with like busted shotguns or like lengths of pipe. They are not. They are the most basic enemy. Uh, that being said. They hit hard, and so while they become very easy to just beat, they do remain a threat because, like, if you ever just, like, screw up and one of them, like, lands a hit, you get nailed, and that's resources, right? That's, like, resources to spend healing yourself, either money or, like, med med injections, whatever. But in addition to the fact that they, like, retained a persistent threat, the way they moved and the barks given to them gave the sense that they knew you were there and they're looking for you. Mm. And like the, the thing that would stick with me is they would sort of wander into a room where you'd been recently or where you were hiding and they would just pause there. And then you'd hear, hear them sort of mutter to themselves something out of place. And you're like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. I'm the thing out of place. I'm like, I'm here. Like, things have changed since this thing came into the room. And, of course, it's on a patrol route. You know, it's, it's not really hunting in that sense. But you consistently have this this feeling of every time you're scuttling around trying to do things, uh, you are, like, leaving little markers for this thing to sort of uh, begin stalking you. And to be fair, like, 
once they did spot you, they would they would keep coming for you. They would they would do their best to sort of run you down. Uh, and so it was a little bit tricky to thoroughly shake them, especially because there's not that many places to run on a tiny spaceship. But yeah, that that feeling of like, yep, this thing this thing is looking for me. Uh, really got to me and contributed the sense of just like persistent, consuming dread. Uh, that I associate with with that game and and utterly adore. I think for me, it just has to be. The, I mean, the most recent one that I remember truly being afraid of was the Alien and Alien uh, Isolation. I mean, that is that is a very easy that is a very easy answer. But I think other than that, it may have to be. A very specific the enemy itself doesn't stress me out but the incarnation and specific timing with which it appears does the appearance of a heavy mech on a (laughs) 1.5 star mission in battletech is one of the most terrifying experiences i can is one of the most stress-inducing experiences in a video game because it's like that motherfucker can ruin me so completely so utterly that this is the biggest threat on the battlefield and for the next like 20 or so turns i am going to be exclusively playing around this as a threat i am going to be putting my entire detachment between ridges so it cannot look at me i am going to treat this as a fucking angel descended from an avenging angel descended from heaven because if i do not i will be obliterated I don't like the hands in Elden Ring. Um, they're not likable. They're not, especially great. they blur they they blur into a lot of backgrounds. So, where they hang out in a way yeah, I do not like every On time that, I when they skitter when they they're enormous they and they faster skitter across the screen. Think they will. I love the ones that are just like the little fingies are sticking out of the ground. Uh, except for when I don't notice them. And I just mm-hmm. step on them, and then fucking a hand comes out of the goddamn ground and grabs me and kills me in one turn because I have very low health. Um, but yeah, yeah, they're Fangers. Disemb- disembodied, disembodied like body parts, disembodied body parts. Are hmm. uh, uh, you know usually usually good 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 uh, area for spooking me. <laughs> Yeah, that that is that that is another one of that that's definitely another one of my buttons uh, for <laughs> for sure. Uh, remember, you can send us all your questions at uh, gamingadvice.com with the subject line questions. That is a wrap on today's episode of Waypoint Radio. If you want more from Waypoint, you can follow us on Twitter at Waypoint, Facebook and YouTube Waypoint Vice. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Ricardo, where are you? At a underscore Cotto underscore appears. Patrick. At Patrick Klovick. Ren. You can follow me on Twitter, disdaining Eric Whitaker, at Ren or Raven. You can also check out what we've published on waypoint.vice.com in addition to Patrick's article on the economy and uh, sociology around guides. You can also check out, Ren, you've got a review going up for Soul Hackers, right? Uh, yes, it is. I'm, it's in progress. Um, so uh, it'll probably come out um, early next week. And there may also be uh, a piece on the Battletech uh, tw- uh, 3062 advanced mod. Uh, so yes. so look for that on uh, waypoint.vice.com. And hey, thanks to Waypoint Plus, the Oberhof Motorsports team achieved its all-time best result. Beautiful. Uh, 
never thought we and we would have won. That's what's like <laughs> my joy has ebbed a little bit knowing that our improbable victory, which was a, driven by an inspired strategy call by Kato. Yeah. Uh, who was Thank like, you. we can Thank we you. can one stop this race. We can one. I was like, we can never one stop this race. This was us trying to one stop <laughs> is the story of why we sucked for yeah. like several races and. You know, Kato picked the we moment. We didn't know and, we were uh, we we didn't know about hybrid mode. We didn't understand the way that fuel works in this game and the misleading numbers. But now we're or smarter. The, or the way those tire wear and performance bonuses yeah. could stack. Yeah. Uh, if you if you really <laughs> lean in on them. But uh yeah, so we so he, like massive changes have happened to the vibe around Motorsports Mondays, uh, where it is just uh we're we're taking dubs now yeah uh i believe also if you're listening to this you can probably see a vod of ren and kato uh playing multiversus and patrick will have uh, continued his cruise through elden ring and i believe I, uh, i'm not sure if i saw this on the schedule or not is is this two human week or is that next week this is two human week all right. Well, Gaff can prepare to be what's left of the Gaff can be prepared to be owned. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. And for <laughs> it's just just it's just Nazis over there now. <laughs> uh, and for our Waypoint Plus listeners, in addition to the ad free feed, you can hear us discuss the. Uh, are we? Uh, did we decide we're doing that this week? We're like releasing it this week, Kato? I thought it was. I saw it moved to, to next week. Yeah. I think we should do it as soon as possible if you can fit it in. Yeah, well, we can, he's got, we can he's do got to play Thursday. that versus. Yeah, Thursday. It'll be it'll be there by the time you listen. Look, check your check your feed and see if a discussion with all of us on the original 1987 Waypoint Predator Plus specifically. Yes. Okay. For this week, I see. Right. This is so. Okay. This is a series we're doing where we examine a slate of thematically connected films. Uh, the podcast is called My Turn. Connected films. We, we, thematically, we, I was going to say that seemed like a little too strong. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, there's. That's up to we, the. That's up to the to the next hey, person who picks. Hey, what is the hey. theme? Waypoint is all about finding disparate connections, drawing things together. And you know what? That's really what we're doing with my turn. We're finding the connections that other people wouldn't really notice. <laughs> no other podcast is going to pivot from Predator to Jingle all the way, but ours might. Well, I want to uh, read I want to read this. I want to read this quote. I told this to Kato because it felt like it summarized. Maybe this is a slightly extreme version of it, but it was this is a response to a tweet asking for questions about uh, Predator was uh, the Predator is a master of killing. Much like Speed Racer is a master of driving. Coming next episode, Speed Racer. So that might be a little further out than where we're going, but is not inconsistent with the logic. The, the hope is that we can go God. from A to Z. And the way we get there watch Speed Racer. is an interesting journey. I, so. would, I would watch Speed Racer. <laughs> you can't steal that one. That's you got to come yeah, up with your own clever. Gotta, I know, but we'll find out. a way to get to Speed Racer. Well, I've never, to Speed I, Racer here, no, here's what I will say. Uh, I don't think we can do Speed Race until that is available in 4K. And it is not. Mm. There's no Blu-ray of that movie. The editions of it currently look like shit. I'm hoping that I, I'm I'm enraged like that they didn't fix they don't that. Look like shit. I know, but wouldn't you want to see that in? I would, but I also do wonder because I wonder what like it, so much of it is an effects-driven movie, and I am mm. curious like what mm. I, I wonder if there's limitations there. Although this was also the Wachowskis going buck wild with like maximalist everything yes. so there's the like <laughs> they did a 
at least sequences in 60 frames per second is that right yeah i feel like they they also played around with uh frame rate stuff so yeah uh listen that's that's all to play for could it it could happen uh Mm -hmm. probably not in the predator rotation but uh (laughs) you know maybe maybe down the road and hey even if you're not a plus listener you'll still get to hear uh this podcast as it makes its way onto the public feed a week later uh, so, so you will get it eventually. And if that sounds good, or if you just want more waypoint, you can go to waypointplus.com and subscribe. Not only do you get access to our premium feed, uh, as well as ad free editions of the podcast, but you're also helping support waypoint and everything else we do here. Uh, and if you want to take that extra step, uh, and really commit to waypoint as lifestyle, uh, waypoint as cult object, go to waypointgeneralstore.com. And check out some of our fine Waypoint merch. Our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. For now, we are calling time on this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Until then, fuck capitalism. Go home. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.